1 Corinthians chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? For with yourselves, if, you pl- if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen to your thanksgiving, when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three 
and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh up what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Right, eh? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Okay, in our current series, we've been working our way through Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, and it should have become pretty clear to folk by now that, that this was a church which was in crisis, in deep crisis. It was a church of broken relationships. There was pride, envy, uh, some of its members had an elevated sense of their self-importance and an elevated sense of their spirituality compared to other people's. Putting it bluntly, there were some people in that church who, well, they just didn't love. And it seems that a large part of their love, love problem was all tied up in their attitude towards spiritual gifts and the way that they used their spiritual gifts. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing about how the spiritual gifts are given uh, not so much for the individual, but for the building up of the church. Spiritual gifts are given so that each individual can form part of the body, so that we can be the body of Christ together. And up until now, we've been talking in quite general terms. We've been talking about spiritual gifts generally. But now, as we come into chapter 14, Paul sharpens his focus. He, he zooms in on one particular spiritual gift, uh, which had become a major issue for that church in Corinth, and that is the gift of tongues. And I'm really glad that Paul zooms in on this gift and gives us some special teaching on it, because it seems to me that out of all of the gifts, out of all of the spiritual gifts, this is the one that seems to have been misused in such a way that divides churches more than any other gift. Uh, it, it is a gift which throughout the years, it, it's been used and it's been abused. It's been glorified and it's been vilified. It's been elevated in status and it's been totally devalued. Some see it as a sign of the Holy Spirit. Some see it as being demonic. Uh, this gift and the introduction of this gift, but more particularly the misuse of this gift and the misunderstanding of this gift has been responsible for splitting churches and dividing denominations. And 
it's done this ever since the first generation of churches. We, we can see this happening in this very letter that we're reading now. This is what was going on in the church in Corinth. If it wasn't for the gift of tongues, we wouldn't have the greatest biblical passage ever written on love. That, that passage on love that we studied a couple of weeks ago, that one which we so often hear being read at weddings, was actually written because a church had misused or were misusing the gift of tongues. And they had elevated this gift up to a level that caused people to show anything but love to one another. What a terrible indictment on a church that, that they would be so caught up in their own spiritual ecstasy that they lost concern for each other, that they lost their love for one another and that they would begin to consider themselves as better than the other and more spiritual than the other. Now, when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues is no better than any other spiritual gift. And yet, as a pastor, the gift of tongues is nearly always the first of the gifts that I'm asked about. Um, it's one of the most controversial of all of the gifts. And it's probably the most disagreed about of the gifts. And so I reckon it's quite fitting for us to spend a bit of time on it today, searching the scriptures for what God has to say about the gift of tongues. And as we begin, I'm, I just want to say, I just want to change what we call it. Okay, so far, we've been using the word tongues, and that's what most people describe it as, the gift of tongues. I'd like to change that to the word languages and use that word most of the time. Uh, because that's what it is. The Greek word is glossa, which means the tongue, the literal tongue. But it also means language, utterance. It, it's something that you say. It's words. Um, years ago, for instance, it would have been quite normal for us to say our South African friends speak in a different tongue. Right? They speak Afrikaans. Uh, but today, we would be less likely to use the word tongue and we'd say... They speak in a different language, all right? Um, of course, one of my South African mates is very quick to assure me that not only is rugby the game that's played in heaven, but he also assures me that when the Bible talks about the tongues of angels, it's talking about Afrikaans. Now, I, I'm just not too sure that I agree with him on that, but that, that's, that's what he says. Now, um, the gift of tongues has always been the supernatural ability to be able to speak in another language that you've never learned. And usually, not always, but usually the person who is speaking these languages doesn't even know what they're saying. But the people who hear it, those whose language it is, understand very well what is being said. And so I just want to try and call it the gift of languages. I, I, I want to try and demystify this gift and call it what it actually is. It's a gift of languages. Having said that, I know that every now and then I'm going to say tongues because that's what we all do. So the first question is, what is it? A and I've already answered that. It's the gift of being able to speak in another language that we've never learned. In, in the book of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon, came upon the church the early church, they spoke in languages. At that time, 
there was a great harvest festival in Jerusalem. That's what Pentecost was. It was a harvest festival. And so there's visitors from all these different countries who all came together for this festival in Jerusalem. And when the people heard them speaking in, in, language, in languages, it says in Acts chapter 2, reading from verse 6, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And then it lists all of the different countries they come from. And then it says, We hear them declaring the words of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, They've had too much wine. What a strange conclusion to draw. I've seen a few drunks in my time and I don't think I've ever seen someone so drunk that they suddenly started speaking in another language that they'd never learned before. Um, it, it, some people saw what was going on and they poo-pooed it. Oh, they're drunk. But then others knew that God was doing something new and amazing here and, of course, they wanted to know, well, hey, what does it mean? And we still essentially have those same two groups of people in the world today. Some who are sceptical about the gift of languages and say, well, that's a load of codswallop. And others who recognise that, hey, God is actually at work here. And they seek God because of it. Which are we? Let's move on. Um, much to my wife's irritation, when I give gifts, I like to give gifts that are useful rather than being decorative. Um, I think she'd far prefer something decorative than useful. But I, I, I've found that actually that's a good thing, and I, I, I'm now going to tell you all that that's actually, the fact that I do that means that God and I are a lot alike, right? God likes to give gifts that are useful, not gifts that are decorative, okay? Um, so what, what use is this gifts of speaking in other languages? Well, I personally do not have this gift, um, so I haven't experienced this myself. But as I've talked with people who do have this gift and as I search the scriptures, uh, these are the uses as I understand them. Firstly, it enables people of another language to hear the praises of God that they would otherwise be denied, such as the Acts chapter 2 example that we read just a couple of moments ago. So you can understand that perhaps in an overseas missionary situation, it, it could be valuable. Or even in a multilingual society, it might be quite useful where somebody might be speaking in tongues and this person just hears it in their own language and goes, wow, what's going on? I, I know what that person said. They're praising God. Secondly, and I believe most commonly, it can be used as a private communication or a private prayer language between the person with the gift of languages and God. In verse 2, it says that the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Now, now what do we call it when we talk to God? Pray. All right? So the gift of languages is pretty much, it's always pretty much closely linked with those who have a gift of intercession or a gift of praying. Um, sometimes we just don't know what to pray. At least I know I don't. 
Sometimes in certain situations, you, you know, yep, I'm going to pray for this and I know that this is something that needs to happen. But other times, it's like, God, I don't know how to fix this. And Lord, I don't know what to pray. And I find myself just going, oh God, just... Uh, and I'm just groaning. I don't know what to say. And at these times, the Holy Spirit takes that groan and he presents the prayer to God. He knows what to pray. But for those who have the gift of languages, in these times, they're actually given words to pray. And they pray those words. They don't know what they are any more than I know what the groaning is. Um, yeah. And so it seems as if the, the gift of languages, it's usually to do with a prayerful or worshipful praising of God. At Pentecost, they said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. And here again in chapter 14, we learn that praying in languages is praising God with our spirit. And then the third use of the gift of languages is to bring a message from God to a church. Uh, but this is only possible if there's a second gift active and present in that church, and that is the gift of interpretation. And so one person speaks a message from God, um, but it's a language that nobody understands. But if somebody's there who has a gift of interpretation, they go, I know what that person just said, and they will share it to the congregation, and then the people will weigh up what is said. So that's how the gift of language is used. But why is there so much controversy? The gift of languages, out of all of the gifts of the Spirit, seems to have been singled out to form two extreme positions. And I'm going to be bold enough to say neither of these positions are biblical. The first gives way too much emphasis on the gift of languages. And it says it's a must-have. And the second denies it altogether. Right, so that's the two extremes. Some of you um, have heard me tell this story before, but I'll, I'll tell it again. When I was 18, uh, some friends of my mum and dad came to visit us at our farm at Gundawindi. And I was out working in the paddock, but I knew that the visitors were there. So I thought, all right, I'll come home for smoko today. And I did. And, and we had a bit of a yarn. And during that conversation, they said to me, so Michael, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And that question, well, it really rocked me because I believed that I had. Because Jesus had made a promise in Luke chapter 11. And he said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I said to him, well, I've prayed and I've asked God for his Holy Spirit and I've earnestly desired to be filled with his Spirit. So, yeah. I believe I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And the next question was, well, do you speak in tongues? Well, no, I don't. Oh, well, you're not filled with the Spirit then. Oh, would you like to be? Well, yeah, of course. Of course I want to be filled with the Spirit. And so they laid hands on me and they prayed that I would receive the Holy Spirit. And after praying, they said, right, speak in tongues. At what? Speak in tongues. How? Well, just open your mouth and start making a noise. It'll come. And 
I opened my mouth and I made a few noises that would pass for what I'd heard of the gift of languages in other churches. And, and they said, yep, 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 you've got it, keep going, yes, you've got it. But all along, I knew I was just making noises myself, the same as any little kid pretending to speak in another language. And, and I knew that it wasn't God who was doing it. It was just me making that noise. And even today, I can still make a noise that'll pass for, for a gift of languages or a gift of tongues in any Pentecostal church. But I know that it's not God who's doing it. It's, it's just making a noise. God hasn't given me that gift. But the experience that I had as an 18-year-old lad is so common. And these well-meaning folk had been taught, as they tried to teach me, that every Christian who is filled with the Spirit or is baptised with the Spirit, is another term they use, can speak in tongues or has the gift of languages. For them, it's like the litmus test. Um, it's the great dividing line. Can you speak in tongues? Yes? Oh, good. You're baptised with the Holy Spirit. You're anointed by God. No, you can't speak in other languages. Well, you're not yet baptised with the Spirit. But that's not a problem. We'll pray for you. And then you'll be, be able to speak in tongues. Then we'll know that you're filled with the Spirit and, and you are one of God's... that you're anointed with the Spirit. Now, this has become the key dividing line between Pentecostal denominations and others. Uh, now, we love them to bits, our brothers and sisters in these Pentecostal churches, but there is a line that divides us. Um, Australia's largest Pentecostal denomination has a statement um, defining what they believe, and in that statement they articulate it better than what I can explain it. It says... We believe that in order to live the holy and fruitful lives that God intends for us, we need to be baptised in water. Check. I, I believe with that. I agree with that. That's biblical. And be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I agree with that. The Holy Spirit enables us to use spiritual gifts. Yes, the scriptures teach this. Including speaking in tongues. And this is the, where we differ which is the initial evidence of baptism in the Holy Spirit. Right? So that pretty much articulates the position of most Pentecostal churches. Speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of baptism in the Holy Spirit. Right? So if you're baptised with the Holy Spirit, there's the evidence, that the first evidence that will be seen. Generally, not always, but generally... In Pentecostal churches, if you can speak in tongues, that's proof to them that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. If you cannot speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. It's as simple as that. And what it does is it, it sets up a spiritual test. And I know that most of these people do not intend it as a spiritual elitism, but that's where it takes us. Um, and this is something which the Bible very clearly guards against. Uh, the scriptures are very clear that we do not all have the same gifts. And we've looked at that pretty thoroughly over the last couple of weeks. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, reading from verse 9, it, sorry, 29, um, it, it sets forth a whole heap of rhetorical questions. Do you know what a rhetorical question is? I've just asked one. It's a question that I ask 
that I'm not wanting you to answer, okay? But it's a question in this context where the answers are obvious, right? So the first rhetorical question, are all apostles? Well, obviously, no, not everybody's an apostle. Are all prophets? Of course not. Are all teachers? Of course not. Do all work in miracles? Of course not. Do all have gifts of healing? Of course not. Do all speak in tongues? Yeah. No. No, we don't all speak in tongues. The answer there is, of course not. Do all interpret? Of course not. Clearly, the answer is no. Now, as I said, and I want to be really clear here, we love our Pentecostal brothers and sisters to bits. Right? Um, and I'm being really clear here. They are our brothers and sisters. We have a difference in, in how we understand this thing, but they are still our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we do stand in a different place on this issue. So where do they come up with the teaching that every Christian filled with the Spirit can speak in other languages? Um, a very highly respected biblical scholar, J.I. Packer, said, if charismatics err, they err only by expecting to receive from God whose face they seek more than he has actually promised. You see, the gift of languages, as with every gift, is promised to the church. It's not promised to the individual or, to, or particularly to every individual. And yet, out of all of the spiritual gifts, it is claimed that this particular gift is given to every believer. And those who hold this teaching look to occurrences in the book of Acts of where groups of people were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, for example, at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, they are all together in one place, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the experience of speaking in other languages... Well, it was certainly dominant. It was there and it was happening. That's what's recorded. But what it says, it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't say that they all spoke in other languages. It then goes on to describe what was seen in the group. Um, but I, I certainly admit that, that the gift of languages is certainly the dominant thing at, on that particular day. Uh, in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles, another group of people. And the Holy Spirit came upon that group of people. Now, how did they know that the Holy Spirit came upon them? They heard them speaking in other languages and extolling God. Now, does that say that each of them spoke in other languages? No, it doesn't. It's saying that the Holy Spirit came upon this group of people and from that group of people, they heard them speaking in other languages. Now, it may have been all of them, but it doesn't say that it was. Similarly, in Acts chapter 19, Paul laid his hands on a group of 12 men. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, once again, I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that they all spoke in tongues or that every single one of them prophesied. It was the experience of the group. Now, let me, let me give you a, an example to help explain this. If I was to say to you, the circus troupe came to town last week, 
All of them were there. And they were singing and dancing and tumbling and juggling and lion taming and trick riding on horses. And they were doing acrobatics on the trapeze and clowning around. I've just described the group. And I've said they were doing this. And I've told you what, what I saw. Would you expect that I'm telling you that the clowns were doing also the ones doing the acrobatics on the trapeze? Or would you expect that the dancers were also the ones who were taming the lions? No, because I've described a group of people and described what that group were doing. That was the evidence of what that group were doing and what they were up to. We would expect each of these circus individuals to be working in the area of their gifting, each one of them using their own gifts to complete the circus troupe. As we read of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church, the gift of languages was an easily recognisable sign that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had come to that church. And yet what some people try to do is they try to make it an individual thing rather than a group thing. It was a sign that the Holy Spirit had come to a group of people. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll drive out demons. They'll speak in new languages. They will pick up snakes with their hands. When they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And all of these things happened in the early church. But not every individual did all of them. It is a sign that the Spirit has come to a church, not upon the individual. Uh, because the Bible, it, it very clearly shows us that we do not all have the same gift, and nor should we expect to all have the same gift. Okay, so some wrongly believe that every Christian filled with the Holy Spirit has the gift of languages, and that becomes the test. But some have the exact opposite view. They believe that the gift of tongues was here for a time and now it's disappeared. And we, we covered that in depth last week. Um, the cessationists believe that certain gifts ceased once the New Testament was written. Now, I don't think I'm going to say much more about that today other than that's the second extreme. If you want to learn more about that, go to our website, www.bushdisciples.church, download the message and have a listen to it. Um, so one extreme says everyone's filled with the Holy Spirit. Sorry, everyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit can speak in other languages. The other extreme says the gift of languages is a thing of the past. Therefore, if anybody claims to be speaking in languages today, they're either faking it or they're demonic. Um, that's, they're both pretty pointed sorts of statements, aren't they? Um, to hold that position that they've passed away um, means we have to ignore verse 39 where it says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Um, anyway, that's the two extremes. Neither of them are biblical. Neither of them build up the church. Now, I might just throw in here an even more extreme and quite a destructive position. A couple of years ago, I was contacted by a lady 
who said she was looking at moving to St George and she's looking for a church and she wanted to know what we here at Bush Disciples thought about the gift of tongues. And she explained to me a bit about her Christian walk and how she had moved town once and she'd gone to this particular church to use her eyes and her words had opened her eyes to how speaking in tongues is not only evidence of being filled with the spirit but it's the evidence of being saved and um, you can see the lo- it's it's a log- logical position for for these churches to take um, genuine disciples of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I agree with that. Like, if we're true believers in Jesus, He will fill us with His Spirit. Um, that's a promise that's given to us. Um, but of course, the extension of that is if everyone who's filled with the Holy Spirit can speak in tongues, then if you can't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Because if you're saved, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can speak in tongues, right? You can see the logic. And so they're saying, if you can't speak in tongues, then you're not saved. And the thing is, I I felt so sad for this lady because this is a surprising bit. She she wasn't speaking from a position of spiritual elitism. For her, she was speaking from a position of craving to be saved. Um, She shared with me how she still she doesn't have that gift and she is she's been praying for years and craving for god to give her the gift of speaking in other languages so she can know she's saved and i just wanted to cry i just wanted to and i did i shared with her hey that's not the gospel this is the gospel this is how you're saved um But her eyes were blanked off to that because she's accepted this other teaching. But what a terribly destructive teaching. So some say if you speak in tongues, you're demonic. Others say if you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptised with the Holy Spirit. And even others say if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Wow! Is it any wonder it's a controversial thing, eh? I just shake my head and I just go, why, oh why, can't we just take it how we're taught in the Bible? The gift of languages is a spiritual gift which is given to some, but not all. And we don't all have the same spiritual gifts. It also tells us that we should not forbid that gift. Paul tells us that he wished we all had that gift, but we don't. Why can't we just take it as it's written in the scriptures? All right. I think we've gone far enough for today. Um, I haven't anywhere near covered what Paul has to say about this gift of languages. So next week, we're going to continue studying. I sort of thought we just had to get the elephant out of the room first um, because if we start talking about the gift of languages and how it should and shouldn't be used and all this sort of thing, uh, as pa- that's what Paul's teaching us about here. If some of you are sitting there going, well, why are we even learning about this? This gift doesn't even exist anymore. And others of you will be saying, well, why are you even teaching this? You can't even speak in tongues. You're not, not even saved. Well, I just thought we had to clear the text, get the elephant out of the room, and we'll continue on with this next week Um, we'll be talking about how it should be used and we'll probably be comparing it with the gift of prophecy because that's what Paul does 
But what's the take-home message for today? Well, I'd say the take-home message for us is for us not to be spiritually arrogant. Um, if you have the gift, the spiritual gift of languages, don't, don't expect that everybody else has to have it too. Um, and don't see yourself as being more spiritual than anybody else because you've got it and the person sitting beside you doesn't. If you don't have the spiritual gift of languages, that's fine. Um, we still ask God for, for whatever gifts he's willing to give us. And, and a few weeks ago, we actually knelt here and prayed, Lord, I'm willing to have whatever spiritual gift you want me to have. And that's a prayer that we should live that every day. You know, God might decide today that he wants to give you a spiritual gift that you don't currently have. Um, now, I don't want anybody to be scared of that gift of languages and go, oh, this, that's the controversial one, therefore I, I, I don't want it. Um, that's, that's not... God, God only gives good gifts. Um, and I'm telling you this as somebody who doesn't have that gift. Um, but don't deny that other people have that gift. That's a spiritual elitism as well, to, to basically say, hey, you're either pretending or, or you're demonic. That's... I sort of hope we don't accuse each other here of being demonic. The gifts are given for the building up of the body. Uh, the church needs the spiritual gift of languages, uh, but it is, we are told it's one of the least of the gifts. Um, but, that, but the least of the gifts from God are still pretty good. Um, but not everybody will have it. But if you do have that gift, it needs to be used in the proper and orderly way and we'll talk about that next week also. So there's a lot more coming next week and um, as I, every time I reread that passage, I keep realising, eh, it's not only that topic, there's a few other tough topics in chapter 14 that we'll be covering over the next few weeks as well. So I think we'll be in that, we'll be in that Bible reading for another few weeks. Right, let's pray, hey? Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I want to thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for the gifts of your Spirit and, and that the gifts of your Spirit are good. And Lord, we just want to confess to you that at times we, we've, can, we can get so confused because we hear so many different teachings on, particularly on this gift, on the gift of tongues or the gift of speaking in other languages. Lord, we've, we've seen the good and we've seen the bad. Um, We've heard different extremes of teaching, some that make us feel it's all dirty and we shouldn't have anything to do with it, and, and yet other teachings saying, hey, if you can't do it, you're not good enough. And Oh, God, I just pray that you'll fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you will give to us the gifts that you desire us to have. And knowing that the gifts that you give us and the, most, the best of the gifts are those that build up the church, and Lord, I pray that we would be a church who use our spiritual gifts for the building up of the other, for the building up of the body. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to encourage one another in our walk with you. And Lord, I just pray that you will bless us with every spiritual gift. In the name of Jesus, amen.